Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. So um, I think most of you probably know by now, and if not, we're doing a series on characters from the Bible at the moment. Um, And I chose to preach on Hosea, who is a prophet. And the reason I chose to preach on him is because I think he's probably one of the most craziest people in the Bible. And, And God has asked a lot of people to do crazy things. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll see Isaiah had to preach naked. I'm very glad that's not me today. Um, I think Ezekiel had to (laughs) lie on one side. We won't go too far into that. Um, Yeah, Ezekiel had to lie on one side for like over a year, I think. And and yeah, so it's like, why? What? Who is God? Like to make us do these these crazy things? Um, But yeah, I chose to preach on Hosea, and I think the best way uh, to describe him is to tell his story, and that's obviously it's is written in the Bible. So there's going to be a lot of Bible reading today. Um, sorry for the longevity of it, but it's important, I think, that we hear his story. Um, just to give you some context, he was after, I know Elise preached on Habakkuk last week, so it's basically around the time when the kingdom divided into two, and he's mainly preaching here to the northern kingdom, which is just a long line of evil kings. And the good thing about the Old Testament, it tells you if the kings are good or bad, they'll just be like, he was bad, he was good. It's very black and white. So, so he's, he knows who he's preaching to, and that's his audience. Um, yeah, and basically, God takes Hosea on this story of asking him to show the people of Israel um, where his heart is, where their heart is even as well. Um, So we're going to start, I'm just going to read it from, if we start with the first slide, Hosea 1, verse 2. If you want to change, uh, yeah, go to your Bibles, your iPhone, it's probably good to read this. It will be on the screen as well. Okay. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomar conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but the Lord their God, I will save them. After she weaned Lo-Rahamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Um, Yeah, so as you can see, this is a mean (laughs) God. Poor, poor kids. I mean, imagine being growing up being called not loved. I mean, that is, that is awful. And 
And I think right now, like the first question I had is, but God is good all the time. Like, where does this fit into God is good? God is mean. And what a horrible thing poor Hosea has to do. Go and marry a promiscuous woman. I mean, none of us choose to do that. When you get married, you hope that your husband or your spouse is going to stay faithful to you. And, and yet God asked Hosea to do this. So where, where is this? God is good all the time. And I think the first thing I want to say is there's a difference between good and nice. And I think most of us want stories to be nice and we, we think that's being good, but it's not. Good is the truth and the truth hurts. And my best example of this is being married to Elias. He... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to throw you under the bus again. But Elias is not afraid to tell the truth. And that's, that's a good thing, obviously, when you marry someone, you want them to tell the truth. But that's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice. And most, I think, the first, we just hit the one-year mark on our marriage. Thank you. Um, but I'll be really honest with you and say the first six months were probably me running from the truth and running from the truth that he gave me. He'd tell me the honest truth. He'd tell me things I didn't want to hear about myself, but they were true. And I would just run, run out the door, run anywhere because it was so painful to hear. But this is this is the story and this is my story. And it's probably a lot of your stories in here that, yeah, God, when he calls you to be with him, it's exposing and it's the truth. But this is what gives you life. Um, so to carry, continue with the story of Hosea, obviously he's got married. His wife's cheated on him, which he should have expected, seeing as God said, marry a promiscuous woman. And the last two children, not loved and not my people, uh, are probably not, I, th I think you'll see from the second uh, uh, chapter, they're not uh, his children. So she was already promiscuous. Um, yeah, so I'll carry on. So this is two, verse two. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. And God says, therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Yeah, so as you can see, uh, Hosea is very angry, <laughs> obviously. And he, he thinks she deserves to be punished. I think most of us would agree that's how we would feel. If someone committed adultery on us, the first thing that comes is anger. And do you want justice? It's not fair. And any of you in the room now that have been betrayed know that feeling, know that feeling of anger and, and that feeling of betrayal. And that they deserve, they deserve justice. Um, but at the same time, we have this kind of Christian thing of, but, but really, like, is, is that Christian to say that he will not love her children? He will not uh, because they're the children of adultery. And, and you just think God is showing his anger here. He's showing his wrath. And that's important to remember, I think, when it comes to sin, that there is, there is righteous anger. It doesn't mean that has to be the way forever, but you do have a reason to, to be angry. And I think, again, it's that whole nice and good thing. And I think so, so often we, we think we have to be nice as Christians, but actually we need to be honest and we need to be truthful and we need to say when something's not right. Um, 
Okay, so, um, yeah, so Hosea's angry, and his wife decides to run, like me. <laughs> Always better to run, the first reaction, um, than actually face up to the truth. Uh, so she thinks, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm going to run off back to my old lovers because there I, could, I had a good time. I knew where I was. Everything was okay. I didn't do that, thank God. <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, there is this need. There's this need to escape. And, and I think we're all, we're all there. We're all on that basis of needing to escape. And if we do something wrong, it's much easier to, to go to the pub and drink a bottle of wine with our friends and forget about it and have nice people say nice things to us and say, don't worry, of course you're like that. You know, it's okay. Oh, well, you had a hard upbringing or you had this wrong with you or had this. And you, you get the love, you get the nurture that you need and, and you can move on and, and live in that denial. Um, but the thing is, that will dry up, and your friends can be there to say, oh, you're, it's okay, but they're, they're not the ones that are married to you. They're not the ones that have to live with you. They're not the ones, and actually, it's, it's not a Christian thing when you're doing that to people. You have to be honest with them, because we can make people feel better, but it won't change the way they are. It won't make them be the best they can be. Um, so... And when you do start to depend on your old things, you'll see how quickly they go to waste. For me, I think my, my oldest loves were alcohol, cigarettes, um, and just going out and having a good time with my friends. And that's, that's great. That's fun. But actually, when you, when you live that life, very quickly, it's easy to get into debt. It's easy to get into addiction. It's easy when you rely on those things and they become your world um, for them to all go. So, yeah, for me, on my path, when that did happen, and... Yeah, I came into the wilderness. So what does God say? He says, therefore, I'm now going to lure her in. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I think that's, that's what happened to me in my own testimony. I, I got to the point where I got in too much debt. I had nothing to show for my life. I didn't know where I was, what job I was going to do. And I kind of just given my life to having fun. And that's fine until it got to the point where I was in too much debt to be able to cope with it anymore. I had to move back home. I had to live with my parents again. And I just felt at rock bottom. And this was my wilderness. And, and when that happened, that's, that's when I knew I had to cry out to God because I had nothing else to rely on anymore. And that's where God will often lead us, I think. And a lot of you might be here today and just be at that place of rock bottom of thinking, I have no one to go to anymore. I have nowhere to go. I, I've borrowed. I'm in so much debt. Oh, I, I've hurt someone so much, and they're not going to forgive me. And it's, it's a really horrible place to be in. But a lot of us have experienced that, or maybe are experiencing it, or will experience it. Um, but this is where God, we can hear God when everything else is taken away. And, and that's when he says, There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she will respond in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of Egypt. And I think that's, that's what happened to me. I called out to God. He answered my prayer, and he said, give away everything and follow me. And it was a great, great time in my life. I came back to the Lord. I gave away all my possessions, and I, and I followed him completely and wholly. But the story doesn't stop there. And I think we also have to be aware as Christians, for us Christians in the room, that... Um, there is no graduation point. There is no like, and then I accepted God and now everything's perfect. It's actually a story of, of that continues. So chapter three, going back to Hosea, the reconciliation. 
The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Yum. <laughs> so I brought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with for me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. So as you can see, Hosea does the unthinkable. He, he asks um, his wife to come back. And even Jesus in the New Testament says, you are allowed not to go back to your wife if she's adulteress. And, and I think that shows that how, how hard that is. Um, and as we know, forgiving and, and everything is a very difficult place to be. But actually, that's how much God loves us. And the amazing thing about this is when Hosea asked you to come back, he set his boundaries, he set his limits like God does. And he said, you are to live for me for many days. You must not be a prostitute. Simple boundary, obviously. Don't cheat around. But actually, by doing that, he was taking away the one thing that she was using to say that she could survive on. She, was, she had to give up what was, what was giving her food and money and everything else. And he would still love her. And I think that's, that's where we have to be with God in a way. We have to give up what we believe in. We have to forgive up what we believe will give us a better life. And, and we have to, to be loved without anything, without who we are today. And I think a lot of the time that is from hitting rock bottom, we'll only find that. And the thing about the book of Isaiah is it's 15 chapters long, not just three. So you hear this story and, and you think, okay, so we come back to God. Okay, I understand. But the story continues for the next 11 chapters, I think, um, just about how the Israelites continue to do this, how they continue um, to come back to God and they continue to break away and they continue to say, God, okay, we're here, we're all for you. And then they continue to, to believe in themselves. They continue to worship um, other gods. They continue to rely on things that, that aren't God. Um, and I think these, these chapters can be summed up by three things. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is no, f um, so the first one is there is no faithfulness. And um, this comes across, obviously, in the story of Hosea, but also in how the Israelites were, that they begin worshipping other gods. Obviously, I think in our day and age, we don't tend to worship other gods, but we still have idols. We still have things that we place above God, whether it's money, whether it's provision, whether it's um, sex, whether it's getting a husband, whether it's having children, there's always something that we want more of and need more of. And we think if we just get to that place, if we can just get to that place, then we'll be happy. If all our debts are paid off, then we'll be happy. We'll be okay. And actually, the more that the, the, the more that you have, the more that you want. And even, I think it was Rockefeller, who was the most, the richest guy in the, in the America at the time, they said, how much, do you have enough money? And he said, no, I need a little bit more. And that's the thing, you'll never have enough. And the only thing that you can have enough of, um, or not enough of, that doesn't make sense, but the only thing where you can be completely satisfied is, is in that relationship with God. Um, 
And I think this is the thing, like I said, when things are tough, we have a tendency to depend on God. But when life is easy, we forget him. And I think the hardest group to preach to is, is the rich, is the comfortable. Because we have everything we need. Most, I think nearly all of us can say, I hope, um, we have a roof over our heads, we have food on the table, we have a bed to sleep in at night. It's very easy for us to be comfortable and forget that God gave us those things. Um, and that's why you look outside and you ask the homeless about God. You, just, you ask the homeless about God. You ask um, the poor about God. You ask anyone that's in their wits end, and they're more likely to come back to God because they don't have Him. So it's a tough message, but it's a message of saying how easy it is to forget Him, and how easy is it on a Sunday to come and to worship and to remember everything, and then on a Monday to wake up and think, Oh my goodness, I've got this bill to pay. I don't have enough money. Do you pray? Or do you go to Wonga or whatever other thing? Yeah, I've been there. It's not a good idea. <laughs> um, so I think, I think, yeah, that's, that's the first thing. There is no faithfulness. And you remember, and then you go back to your old ways. You remember, you go back to your old ways. The next thing is there's no loyalty. There is no love. And again, this is what I was saying. He says, I think in... Uh, chapter 6. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. And it's just, um, God is exasperate, uh, exasperated. Let me. <laughs> uh, because there's no loyalty, and they say, oh, God is our God. And then the next day, they're out doing, they're depending on other things apart from Him. And the last one is there's no knowledge or acknowledgement of God. We forget to thank God when things go well. We forget about God. And I remember reading a story about a town, and they basically forgot everything in the town. They forgot the grass was green. They forgot that the sky was blue. And they had to, to write these messages all over the town saying, the grass is green. Uh, this, is, this is the sky. This is the, the school. They forgot everything. And then there in the center of the town is remembering Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. And we forget that. We forget he's real. We forget he's real every day because, because we think it's down to our own doing that we're happy and we're content. And, and that's, that's not what it, why it is. It's because he's real. He's alive. He cares for us. He cares for you. Um, yeah. So the message is clear. We keep on sinning. We keep on sinning. And it's hard. It's a hard message because we don't like to think of sin. We, and, and with grace, with, with Jesus, we can kind of brush it under the carpet. Jesus went to the Pharisees who would pride themselves on, on being the highest of the high. And Jesus would find what was wrong with them. And I think that is a good lesson. Have those people, the people that tell you the truth, the people that hurt you with the truth, they're the good people. They're your real friends. The people that say, it's okay, it's okay, just have another drink, they're not your friends. And that's, yeah, that's hard. That's a lesson that I, I still have to continue to learn, I think. So what does God say at all of the end of this? The first thing is repentance, as we know, coming back to God. Um, owning our responsibility as Christians, owning our responsibilities as sin, owning our shame, owning our secrets, um, allowing him to expose us and allowing them to be exposed. And it's painful and it's, 
it's not pretty. It's not my little pony Christianity we're preaching here. It's, it's the real deal. So yeah, in chapter 14, that's exactly what God says. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. And this is, as a church, what we preach. We're preaching to the fatherless. We're preaching to the orphan. We're preaching to, um, to them. And what does he give us in return? Well, as we know, the good news, the gospel, is Jesus. Jesus paid for our sins already. That's the amazing thing, that we can continue to say we can do everything, but they've been all paid for by Jesus. And even in the Old Testament, before they even knew about Jesus, this is what God says. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the Jew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish in the corn. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more do have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I'm like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitlessness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And I think with that, we all do have a choice and we all have a responsibility. Um, but the amazing thing is God's grace. He doesn't say, you have to heal your way waywardness. You have to stop doing this. He says, I will heal your waywardness. And for me, that is the biggest blessing because we can try and be good all that we like. We'll, we'll mess up at some point in our lives. But God is there. And if you choose to, to have God in your life, then he will expose the truth. He will expose your shame. But he will heal you and he will continue to heal you. And through Jesus, we can come exactly as we are, whether we're the worst, worst sinner in the world, whether we've done the worst things we can ever imagine, or whether we think we're, we're actually doing all right. We can come to him and we can, and he will be with us. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good note to start. Uh, so yeah, if the worship team can come up. Um, so in a minute, we're going to have communion. And I'd just like us to have a, a time of kind of exposing ourselves to God. Um, and yeah, just, just spending time in that and then coming to communion um, and repenting and knowing that Jesus says, this is my blood shed for you. This is my body broken for you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.